Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. So get your headphones ready to hear what it's all about now. We'll have no fun, 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 because your Christmas podcast comes out today. We'll have no fun, 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 because your Christmas podcast comes out today. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 361. Oh my God, this is coming out a week after the election. Uh, who's the president? We still don't know. As of I'm recording this, I record this always early, a few days early, get ahead of it. You know, you know, just slap an episode and tell your producer, go produce and put it up. And uh, so it's Saturday now, Saturday, August, nope, <laughs> November 7th, 11 7. Is that? something in gambling. And, uh, you know, actually, if you wanted to get the episode early, it's too late, but you could join my Patreon, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. And I usually post the episodes anywhere from one to five days early. And uh, it's the video version that I post early. So anyway, and, and on those versions, I talk for at least 10 to 25 minutes on video directly to camera before I begin the podcast. So you do get bonus content on the video version every week. It's not written in the contract. So sometimes I don't do it, but most times I do. And you also get extra bonus episodes. So every week there is a 20 minute audio only bonus episode on Patreon. And with each financial level that you go up, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20 a week, a month, that gets you more and more of those 20 minute bonuses. So check it out, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. There's also exclusive merchandise, blah, blah, blah. So, um, 
Yeah, so let's just get right into it. Uh, what is this podcast? I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm a stand-up comedian. I've been touring for, I don't know, 15 years or so worldwide, worldwide. Uh, if you live in any major city, you're near one, you haven't seen me, you missed me, you missed me, but you're here now with me, right? And uh, I've got two Netflix specials, I'm going to die alone and I feel fine, and just keep living, both streaming now on Netflix. And I have written two books. One is called I Can Barely Take Care of Myself. It's about not having kids and not even thinking it was a big deal until everybody started getting up in my business about it, from strangers to family members to friends that used to be not annoying. So it's a great book. You know, it's a really good gift to give to someone for the holiday season. It's uh, actually a good book for couples as well, because I wrote half of it when I was married. And uh, you think getting married gets people off your ass about certain life choices, but nope, they'll keep going. Great. Now that you're married, why don't you have kids? Well, what else is being married for? What do you do when you're married when you don't have kids? Oh my God, they're totally going to have a kid, aren't they? Uh, Sorry, that was a side note. Anyway, and so then I wrote a second book called I Know What I'm Doing and Other Lies I Tell Myself, which is about being 40 and divorced and traveling the world and just making unconventional choices for better or for worse. Both are great gifts for that woman in your life who is just like, is anyone else out there like me? And you're that bad friend that's like, no, actually, everyone else, yeah, we all seem to have our shit together. Get her, get her those books for, for Christmas. Um, and they're fun books. They're not the unsolicited self-help book where you're like, oh, I didn't know I needed to lose 10 pounds and get a better attitude. Thanks for getting me how to lose 10 pounds and get a better attitude. What a great stocking stuffer. No, no, no. With my books, it's like, this girl is fun. You'll love her memoirs. She's unconventional like you. So those are uh, other places you can see me, but this is not a book, nor is it a stand-up special. It is a podcast. I think we're all pretty clear on what podcasts are, you know? It's just where I come to sit and talk to you about my life. I'm not in my home studio today. Uh, I'm sitting in my living room. I just kind of felt like it. So there you go. I am part of the Misfit Toys Comedy Network, which is a collective of comedians and their podcast, and it started by... Matt Belknap and Jimmy Pardo of the Never Not Funny podcast. I've been a guest on their podcast many times. Please check it out. Doug Loves Movies is in this collective. I just did an episode right around Halloween, about a week and a half ago, whenever Halloween was. And uh, the Todd Glass show, one of my dearest friends, and Mike Schmidt's show, The 40-Year-Old Boy. If you like this show, you probably love Mike's. It's it's sort of the, um, I would think it's like the male version in a way where he also does a solo podcast. So they're all part of the collective. And, um, you know, you can find those anywhere that you find podcasts. So this week, uh, lots of listener emails, which will jump us off into different jumping off points. And um, okay, so I've got my thoughts on the election. And, uh, you know, here's the deal. I know, I, I know I've got all kinds of listeners in my audience. I got the Bernie people that are like, fuck you, we're not voting for anything. You should have voted for him. And I've got the, I don't even vote. I've got the libertarians. I've got the uh, Biden with Biden. I've got, I got Trumpers or I don't even know if they're Trumpers. They're just conservatives. They've been at my shows. Well, one guy was wearing a, 
I want to make liberals cry hat. And I was like, you don't even, you don't even have to do any, I cry all the time, not because I'm liberal, but, but if that's your political stance, I mean, great. I don't, I would want more out of my politics than making other people cry. I want roads and bridges and high-speed trains and, oh my God, did anyone see the video out of South Korea? I'm telling you, I think I might have to move to South Korea. There is this, their their freeway system, their highway system has in the median this covered, it's not a bridge, but it's a, a covered lane. It goes miles and miles and miles as long as the freeway goes. And it's solar paneled and people ride their bikes through it so that they don't have to get hit by cars and uh, the solar energy is great. Anyway, I just... What can't North Korea do except not live in fear of being nuked by Kim Jong-un? So, you know, um, here's my thoughts on the election. And and I don't want to get political, not because I'm afraid, but because everything I say lives on. And this is supposed to be just like, I'm sorry, I'm having a morning. I'm having a phlegmy morning. This is supposed to just be... You know, you go have beers with your friends, you have a conversation, goes into the ether. I want it to have that vibe. Unfortunately, it doesn't because I'm talking into a microphone. And right now, somebody in 2026 is just discovering the podcast. And, you know, I don't know. But um, all right, so let's talk about the election. All right. Now, I have supporters from every political stripe. I have supporters that aren't political. I don't want to get in arguments with people. I, I basically, believe, you know, I travel the country. I travel this land, land, land. And yeah, I have my own fan base. So I see a lot of people that are probably like-minded to me or they look like they would be. And then you talk to them. You know, you meet all kinds of weird people. You meet people that, you know, they're like totally for Bernie Sanders and I totally get it. And, and like they believe in what he's saying and they want, you know, they want Amazon to pay their taxes. And then they'll say something like, and Hillary Clinton's a pedophile. And you're like, no, that's QAnon. Like, okay. You know, and then you'll meet like a conservative who's like, look, I just don't want these people taking away my guns and raising my taxes, but I want better roads and infrastructure. And you're like, that's what your taxes do. Okay, fine. You know, it's like you meet everyone with, everyone has a little bit of a contradictory thing, but I want to talk about, first of all, I knew the early vote. Everyone was like early voting. 99.6 million people have already voted before November 5th. And they were all thinking, and then, so on voting day, you know, because I think last year, for example, or last election, what did uh, maybe 134 million people voted or 154 million people voted, you know, total. So they're like, well, if if 100 million have already voted, then on election day, just like last time, 134 and 234 million people will have voted in this country. And that's amazing. You know, more people are voting. But I was like, oh, this is totally like early ticket sales. If you're a comedian, you know, I'll have a 700 seat theater on hold. The first day I announce it, 200 people buy tickets. Those are my diehard fans in that city, and that's who's coming, period. 
and the theater gets excited. I get a call from my agent. I already know what it's going to be. Jen, you sold 200 tickets in two hours. We, we're probably going to have to add a second show because, you know, if we're, we're about to sell out the 700 seat thing, if, if, you know, next week was, I go, no, that's who's coming. No one else could come. No, don't be negative. Not being negative. That I, I'm telling you. The people who want to get out of the way early and do their thing, that's my people. So, you know, you, you maybe sell a hundred more after that. Slowly, dribby and drabby. So no, a hundred million people didn't vote on actual, actual election day. But lots of people voted, which is great. Now, there's two things that I find asinine. And this is why this whole thing is taking so long. See, this is where I just want to make things very clear to people. There are conspiracies out there. There are crazy QAnon people. There are, we get it. And that kind of thing to me is the downfall of America. And we are so behind other countries. And, and you guys can argue amongst yourself which party is doing it or, or even if there is one good party, they're caught up in gridlock, whatever it is. I don't care right now, but um, what I'm trying to say is the conspiracy that is not happening is the one that currently people think are. And by the way, we're going to be done with this by the time the episode comes out. So early voting happened because there is a pandemic. And mail-in voting has always been a thing since the 1800s and drop off your vote, vote in a ballot box. All of that was to make people able to vote during a pandemic. Most Democrats voted early. I mean, a really good amount of Republicans and independents voted early as well. But but in terms of like, when did Democrats vote? Most of them voted early as opposed to voting day of. That could have been from rumors of that there was going to be people with guns guarding the stations and threatening them. It could have been they take COVID more seriously and don't want to be around groups of people. It could be they're more working class. They can't get the day of work. I don't know, whatever it is. Or they just were like, I've got the ballot. Let's do it, you know? But they've been telling us since the beginning, it's going to look like Trump is winning on the day of. Also, it's a time zone thing. A lot of the red states are on East Coast time. They have to count the votes in person first, and then they go count the mail-in votes, the votes that were done early. Now, that whole reason is why. It looks suddenly like, oh, these mysterious votes are being found, which is not a fucking thing. And if you're a more than a child, you know that. So I wish in the future that the law could change that the minute votes are in, they can be counted. Now, maybe there's a reason that they don't want that because they, uh, it might get leaked to the press. And that is a form of, that's not voter suppression, but it's why they don't have exit polling for early voting because it can influence the election. If people think, oh, well, you know, plenty of people are voting for this guy, this gal. So 
I don't have to go vote. So whatever. The whole thing is, it's just we've got a big old country and we don't agree on anything. And the country, even the terrain of the country is so different. You know, the different industries, the different lays of the land, how we use the land, how we don't. But obviously we all need each other, right? But, you know, I just wish, I wish there wasn't, there's something in the way of people's brains being able to process like, hey, coal isn't coming back, but we've got another thing and you can make more money and you can do, you know, green energy. Like we have so much industry that can be done and everybody can get a fair shake and make money. See, I don't want to go on and on because I'm generalizing. I'm talking like I sound like an idiot, but my point is I just, I just look at solving the problems of a country via infrastructure, industry, jobs. And the other thing is, um, you know, when people say, I want small government, I don't want it up in my business. It's like, I don't know, it's just such a weird talking point. Like, well, it's a country and it's got to, oh, Biden wins. My friend Michael just texted me. Uh, I'm in the middle of a podcast. Oh my God, I'm on air podcasting. Hang on, let me text him back. Um, I'm on air podcasting. I'm on air podcasting. We, you're the first to tell me. Okay, so Biden wins. Okay, great. Breaking news to you guys listening to this five days later. But my point is like, I just hate yelling about politics and who's good and who's bad. You know, my dad is so concerned Biden's going to make everyone a socialist. And it's like, look, This is why my I had my beef with Bernie Sanders is he's not a good politician. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a bit of a rabble rouser. A politician can soothe and explain and and not like I get there's something sexy when you're younger about yelling, I'm a socialist and I get what you think you mean. But there's socialism and there's socialism. There's dictator socialism. And then there's, hey, we use your tax money to pay for roads and bridges and college is affordable and health care is a right. Yeah, great. America's always been half capitalist, half socialist in that sense. What do you think um, Social Security is? But, you know... We got to finesse it a little bit here, people. We got to lead the country. We've got to bring people together and say, so my dad is concerned. Now, my dad, let me look at, look at it from my dad's point of view. He didn't ever own his house. It came for free with his job. So they don't have that collateral in the sense. They don't have that investment that they're going to hand down to us and sell one day. So for my dad, everything had to be about investing investing small since he was in his 20s. This is a working class greenskeeper. My mom didn't work till she was in her early 50s. We are not rich people. So for my dad, everything's always about the, the whatever specific thing he is in the stock market. Well, someone's telling him that the socialists are going to take it away. And I'm like, Dad, Joe Biden does not want to ban Wall Street. Elizabeth Warren wanted to put regulations on Wall Street. None of these that would affect my dad. 
It would affect things like the housing crisis that we went through, where they were betting on futures and people were getting fucked. There's a way, I mean, it's just like, you just got to be rational. There's a way to have our little gambling casino called Wall Street. Sure, it may be set up for the rich, but there's a way to do it with like, that's their little playground and then they don't fuck us. And, and, but that's my idealism. You can't yell at me about that. And don't send me emails with, I'm just telling you, if you ask me in a broad sense, when I'm thinking about this country, it makes me sad that my dad is so utterly scared of a thing that's not happening. And then if I were to tell my dad, Joe Biden does not want to get away with, you know, do away with Wall Street. Well, then when my Bernie bro sister comes in and goes, see, it's bad. He's corporate Wall Street and Bernie isn't. I'm like, oh, would you shut up? Bernie took Donald Trump's tax break. They released Bernie's taxes. He paid the new tax rate based on Donald Trump. And he paid less taxes than he's ever paid in his life that year. You know, not it's it's the black and whiteness of it all. It's like. It's like if Bernie is the more socialist candidate, it doesn't mean that every Democrat is. But that's sort of the propaganda that's been going on on the left is Bernie likes to tout. Joe Biden is using some of my socialist views and whether he knows it or not, that's fucking scaring people. And then Trump somehow has working class people convinced he's on their side. It's all just a fucking mess. And you can't talk to anyone about anything. So that's why I don't talk about it. And maybe I could learn how, but it feels like just a bunch of cult deprogramming has to go on on a bunch of sides. So I don't want to get into it, but here I am to tell everybody, to tell my people on both extremes in my audience. It's going to be okay. We have a lot of things to clean up. A lot of times people think government doesn't work. There's a lot of politicians who grind government to a halt so that you say it doesn't work. And then they say, government doesn't work, vote for me. And then you vote for them. And here we go in a cycle. This is what I want. I want us to get into the goddamn 21st century with infrastructure and high-speed trains and jobs. I want us to get rid of this fucking disinformation that Russia planted. I want to get rid of crazy online conspiracy wacko people. People are terrified. I can see it as someone who had anxiety. I can see people's anxiety when they're out in the street saying Tom Hanks eats babies. I know it looks crazy to us. They're, they've been Their minds have been taken over. And yet I have no sympathy for, for Mark Vicente from the cult. So I don't want to talk about politics anymore. I just want to say to all of you who are upset about the Biden-Kamala win, let me just tell you something. We're all going to be okay. And if we're not, well, we're just humans on earth. And, you know, did we get a guarantee when we were born that said things are going to be okay? I think not. But I know they're going to be. And I'm really, really relieved. I, I, do, not, I do not like what happened in my country under Trump. My mother, your father's going to have a nervous breakdown when Trump loses a lot of old men at. Okay. Well, I'm I'm podcasting during some historical thing. Uh let me text my friend back. I did I did tell you and I love that you remembered. I'm so happy. I wish I could get off air. <laughs> uh Anyway, um 
So there's your election talk. This is not this episode. It's weird to find out the election in the middle. Oh, God. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Anyway, you guys, so... What's everyone doing for the holidays this year? I want to know what kind of plan. Are you getting in a airplane in a hazmat suit and quarantining for 14 days and then sitting in grandma's basement as she sets up an intricate pulley system and and sends you some pumpkin pie. Uh, I seem fun at gmail.com. Tell me how your holidays are being affected by the pandemic. They can be as depressing or as whatever as you want. Keep them in like a few paragraphs. I can't get lots of life stories over here. You know, they get kind of long. So I was watching a I was thinking about social media and how, you know, all of us comedians can just, besides our podcasts, which do end up becoming, you know, they're supposed to be where you can hear the real us and, 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 and they are, they are, we're not bullshitting by any means, but they become a little more professional, right? You get ads and producers and bigger audiences and you want it to not look like someone sitting, I don't know, in their bedroom or something. But there's this, um, connection that, that we all have together, but then there's other things, right? Like Instagram live or people going on, um, what's the other one, the, the one, the Facebook live or Twitter, the Periscope and even more real there. It's people are like, I'm drunk, I'm high. I'm trying to stick to my Weight Watchers points, you know? And I just think about old time entertainment where you saw nothing. I mean, I was reading this book about Ava Gardner, who was a famous actress. I, I read the book years and years ago. It's a really fascinating biography. If you know nothing about her, you don't need to know anything about her. But if you want to read, and normally I hate books like this, where the author puts himself in it, but he actually has to. So there was this writer who was writing a biography about actress Ava Gardner. And she kept going back and forth in that dramatic fashion. No, I I want to do the story of my life. No, I don't want to do the story of my life. And it's called Ava Gardner, The Secret Conversations. And so it's by an author named Peter Evans. And it's a best-selling book. And he didn't publish it during her lifetime. Um, Ava Gardner was one of Hollywood's biggest... I'm getting to my whole point, you'll see. Biggest and brightest stars during the 40s and 50s. An Oscar-nominated leading lady who co-starred with Clark Gable, Burt Lancaster, and Humphrey Bogart, among others... But this riveting account of her storied life, including her marriage to Frank Sinatra and her career, had to wait for publication until after her death because Gardner feared it was too revealing. 
I either write the book or sell the jewels, Gardner told co-author Peter Evans, and I'm kind of sentimental about the jewels. The legendary actress serves up plenty of gems in these pages, reflecting with delicious humor and cutting wit on a life that took her from rural North Carolina to the heights of Hollywood's golden age. Uh, You know, she dated uh, everybody. So she said with Frank Sinatra, we were fighting at the time, fighting and boozing. It was madness, but he was good in the feathers. So in this book, you know, we hear these rumors about Frank Sinatra. Was he in the mob? Was he not? Was he this? Was he that? Is he um, Ronan Farrow's father? I mean, nobody knows. There, there, there used to be actual secrets back then, right? And there's a chapter in the book where they're in Palm Springs, Ava and Frank, and they're, you know, drunk driving as you do. And he pulls out his gun as you do and just starts shooting stop signs for fun. And I'm not saying that's good behavior, but nobody knew about it. I mean... Yeah, it could be one of those things where the cops go, hey, hey, Frankie, nice to see you. No, let's just let's just get back home. Okay, buddy. You know, celebrity and white privilege and all that. But but even before that, but pretend no cops anywhere. There's no TMZ outside following them while they do that. You know, again, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but there actually was this private life. And now I feel like today's performers have their public life. Their private life, which is their podcast, and then like their real private life, which is their Instagram life. <laughs> and like everybody knows everything. I had a point. Why was I bringing that up? Oh my God. Oh, so the reason I was bringing that up is because it still floors me that people want to have these boring conversations about like, what's comedy and how do you come up with this and comedy, 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 you know? Um, And, and so, uh, he, I'm watching, uh, a bunch of old timey stuff. So, so I've been doing some punch up work on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel for season four. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that out loud, but I am. And so when I'm watch when I'm, when I'm getting in the mindset of that era, I love to just kind of have old timey TV on in the background. And I was watching a lot of like people on Johnny Carson and oh my God, Johnny Carson just sits there smoking cigarettes <laughs> on camera. But you know, Don Rickles, whatever you may think of him now, of course, a lot of his stuff doesn't age well. He does that kind of broad racist jokes, but he would do these, uh, but God, he was, a besides those words he would use, he was a goddamn comedic timing genius and just, just a joy, you know, and he, at the end of his life, he and Joan Rivers used to tour together and so Don Rickles is on Bob Newhart and Bob Newhart, sorry, are on the Phil Donahue show. And if you don't remember Phil Donahue, he and Oprah were the people in the 80s. And Phil Donahue, not in a salacious way, but it would be like, now this man thinks he's a woman and he dresses in a dress. Now, why do we care? Like he was very liberal. And it was like those early 80s conversations of, you know, trans and gay and AIDS and you know, everything that was kind of coming to light in the eighties and that was controversial and, and, uh, God, I think they should just re-release all of Phil Donahue on box set. Oh my God. I'm going to go down a Phil Donahue rabbit hole and just watch that for weeks. So 
Don Rickles and Bob Newhart, I guess, you know, they were really good friends and they're on Phil Donahue and it's just the audience asking them questions. And I guess at the end of Don Rickles live show, he always does this thing. And it's kind of a trope now. He meant it then. You know, I think the closer we were to the Korean War, World War II, Vietnam. I mean, I know that we're always at war now, obviously. But Rickles was in World War II. And so at the end of every show, he'd say, now, now I make fun of everyone, but we're all Americans and, you know, oh, beautiful and strike up the band and da, 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 da. And that's, it's a, it's not insincere, but it's what you kind of have to do if you're known as a mean comic who's roasting the audience, you know? You you kind of have to cleanse the palate and let everyone go home knowing that you're actually a nice guy and you love America. Okay, great. So, but, you know, when he's on a talk show talking with his friend Bob Newhart about the dinner they had with their wives or when he's on Johnny Carson telling a funny story. He's not going to sit there and go, oh, beautiful, because he's not making up for anything in that moment. And also he's not, um, I'm sure he's a patriotic man, again, World War II vet, but not a patriotic comedian. That's not his act. So there's this woman and she's on, it it made me laugh so hard. I sent it, um, to my friend Todd Glass because we both love old stuff like this. And I was like, what is this woman's problem? Why is she like almost crying about this? And he was dying laughing. And so now we just send each other voice memos where we act like this woman, like, I want to know why you didn't. And I have to find it. Of course, I can't because it's on my phone and I'm using my phone to, uh, I'm using my phone to record this, but let me see if I can find it. Uh, Don Rickles on Donahue with Newhart. Oh, yeah, I found it. Okay. I'm going to fast forward through and try to find this woman. But as I'm doing it, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories of... um, Okay, let's see this woman. She's so sincere and she's so worried. Hang on. Okay. Oh, yeah. So look at the way that she frames this question. We're going to analyze this as though it's the Sapruder film. Here you go. No. Connected to MacBook Air, you bitch. Why is this being such an... Okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay. And it was love uh, ever since. Ever since. Yes, whose hand did I see over here? Somebody. Uh, Yes, ma'am. This question is for Don. Why do you hide your feelings for, you're, you're so patriotic. Sometimes it comes out in your nightclub acts and sometimes it doesn't. Why, why do you hide that? Why does he hide his patriotism? Yes, you took yes. the words right out of his mouth. <laughs> this he is does. what I've been waiting to ask him a life. He can be so funny and then yet bring tears when he, 
the end well, of your show, you can end, the end of your show, you you say things about our country and I saw you. Yes, he does. You like him, didn't you? He's good. I did. Yeah. Yes. yes. Well, I was in unfortunately World War II uh, as a sailor, and <laughs> I say these patriotic things, and in case they want a man over sixty again, I don't want to go. <laughs> Okay, so Don Rickles, like, the emotion in her question, and Phil Donahue's rousing her a little bit, going, oh, I know, you just said, sometimes you're patriotic, and sometimes you hide it. And it's like, people like that, who can't ask a question without putting an emotion that they think you're having, does that make sense? He's not hiding his patriotism. It's not what his act is. And it's not what he's talking about on the talk show. I'm sure if you had dinner privately with him and said, hey, Don, are you patriotic? Yeah, I am. But the end of your act, you did this. Yeah, it's the end of my act. That's where you saw the patriotism. And you can tell anyone you want. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't hiding it. He didn't say, everybody, when you leave here tonight, do not tell anyone that I did a patriotic tribute to the troops. Like, it's such a weird thing to say. Like, what does she want? It's like, she laughed at his show. Then she saw the patriotic tribute, and then she couldn't get it out of her head that, what, the whole show wasn't a patriotic tribute? <laughs> Go see the Rockettes on July 4th if you want that. Oh, it People are so strange. Even when they love what you do, they get mad that the one thing they loved isn't the entire thing that you do. People are, but but Don Rickles doesn't have to hear these kinds of questions unless he goes on the Phil Donahue show and Phil Donahue lets his audience ask questions. You see what I'm saying? It's not like uh, he's on Instagram live and all the hearts are popping up and people are like, why don't you do a more patriotic show, Don? I don't know. There was something about it that just made me mental. And I think it was her voice. Why do you hide your patriotism? And so I sent that to Todd and then I'll get (laughs) a voice memo from him. That's like, why, why? (laughs) Just screaming why into the phone. (laughs) Like, why do you even care? What if he was hiding his patriotism? What if he didn't want anyone to know he was patriotic? Who gives a shit? Oh, I don't know why that was on my mind or why I thought it would be an interesting podcast topic. It's probably not, but but I wanted to talk about my um my new favorite Ethan Hawke. I swear to God, if Ethan Hawke and I met, we would go to dinner and it would be 19 hours. They would close the restaurant. The Waiters and waitresses would have children. Their grandchildren would be raised. Their grandchildren would be taking our order. Like we would never leave is my point. But because he's a talker and I'm a talker. It's funny. I'm not as much of a talker on the podcast. Like as I'm doing the podcast, I'm like, okay, when is this done? Because I feel it feels so structured, which I know it shouldn't. But I wanted to play this. I thought this clip that that he said was really cool about giving yourself permission to be creative. And I think it can apply to all of us, even if you're not in a creative thing for a living. But um, so let's play that right now. It, he did a, a little TED talk. It's only nine minutes. I'm not going to play the whole thing. I just want to play the beginning of it. And yes, there is a moment where he implies that people who aren't creative go home and do a job and put on, he said, the boob tube. And I, just, you know, that's just something 
just, just, just. But there was something he said that I thought was really interesting. And he mentions um, poet Allen Ginsberg. And if you guys aren't familiar with poet Allen Ginsberg, oh, are you missing out on life? Um, when I was in high school, my my dear friend Dave, who came out of the closet, he was obsessed with Allen Ginsberg. And we thought of ourselves as beat poets. Uh, he wrote the famous poem, Howl. In 1955, it's the most popular poem of the Beat Generation. It celebrates personal freedom and breaking from social norms. He uh, was born in New Jersey, lived and grew up in the East Village. I mean, to me, he's one of the only times, like, I'm not a Kerouac person. I find him, you know, as you get older as a woman and you realize you've been indoctrinated to think all these men are genius and they're really just alcoholics who hated women and that, like, they were the only ones... (laughs) allowed to be heard from that like of course you're going to think they're a genius but i really love alan ginsburg and so um and i've always been a big poetry fan as well it's it's i loved a lot of his poetry about kind of like being in the closet and stuff like that um let's see He wrote, everything is holy. Everybody's holy. Everywhere is holy. Every day is an eternity. Every man's an angel. The weight of the world is love under the burden of solitude, under the burden of dissatisfaction. The weight, the weight we carry is love. You know, he's that. I just love Allen Ginsberg. So anyway. Ethan Hawke talking on his TED Talk about giving yourself permission to be creative. And I really liked this because I think, you know, what he's talking about is uh, once you get to a point in your career, you know, he's an actor and he wanted to do other things. He wanted to write a novel. He wanted to do this. And and people judge you and they can't wait for you to fail and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I really resonate with stuff like this. So I thought it was cool. And I'm just going to play a little bit of what he said. Okay. You know, a lot of people really struggle to give themselves permission to be creative. And reasonably so. I mean, we're all a little suspect of our own talent. And I remember uh, a story I came across in my early 20s that kind of meant a lot to me. I was really into Allen Ginsberg. And I was reading his poetry and I was reading, uh, he did a lot of interviews. And uh, one time, William F. Buckley had this television program called Firing Line. And Ginsburg went on there and sang a, a Hare Krishna song while playing the harmonium, you know. And he got back to New York to all his intelligentsia friends, and they all told him, does she know that everybody thinks you're an idiot? And the whole country is <laughs> making fun of you. And uh, he said, that's my job. You know, I'm a poet, and I'm going to play the fool. Most people have to go to work all day long, and they come home, and they fight with their spouse, and they eat, and they, like, turn on the old boob tube, and somebody tries to sell them something. And I just screwed all that up. I went on and I sang about Krishna. And now they're sitting in bed and going, who, who, who's this stupid poet? And they can't fall asleep, <laughs> right? And that's his job as a poet. And so I find that very liberating because I think that most of us really want to offer the world something of quality, something that the world will consider good or important. And that's really the enemy because it's not up to us whether what we do is any good. And if history's taught us anything, the world is an extremely unreliable critic, right? So you have to ask yourself, do you think human creativity matters? Well, hmm, most people 
don't spend a lot of time thinking about poetry, right? They have a life to live and they're not really that concerned with Allen Ginsberg's poems or anybody's poems until their father dies. They go to a funeral. You lose a child. Um, somebody breaks your heart. They don't love you anymore. And all of a sudden you're desperate for making sense out of this life. And has anybody ever felt this bad before? How did they come out of this cloud? Or the inverse, something great. Um, you meet somebody and your heart explodes. You love them so much you can't even see straight. You know, you're dizzy. Did anybody feel like this before? What is happening to me? And that's when art's not a luxury. It's actually sustenance. We need it. Okay, well, what... So it goes on and on for eight more minutes, but isn't that great? I thought Ethan Hawke... Great work. Great TED Talk. Great, great points, you know, like, but I really love the point of like, hey, Alan, you look like a fucking idiot up there. Like, what did you do on TV? Well, that's my job to just disrupt things a little bit, not disrupt, like make people upset. And I'm telling you the truth, man, you know, when you come at it with that way, but it's like, yeah, my job was to, I don't know, some history will decide, you know, and uh, I guess my neighbors just found out Biden won. They screamed, woo. Um, or they're just having a really good morning in the rain at 8 a.m. Anyway, so I just loved that. And and I've been thinking a lot about that with, with creativity and stuff because it's just been so interesting for people who keep, they keep telling me that I miss touring and I keep telling them that I don't and then they get worried. And they're, and it's like, because touring is one thing and comedy is another. And I don't miss touring and I can do comedy other ways and, and, and right now what's coming out of me isn't coming out in like strict punchline joke fashion. And so I'm just really excited about a lot of different things. Um, and I keep just deciding to put pen to paper when I feel like it or not when I feel like it and not worry about it. You know, um, I don't know who started this grind culture. I think it is, uh, I thought it was going to die during the pandemic, but I don't think it is. And to me, being an artist, I grew up before the internet has always been about kind of sitting and thinking and seeing what comes, not sitting and thinking and doing nothing and being a big talker. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Not that actually doing the work, but taking some quiet time about it too. And going, what am I feeling? You know, just because I've been a stand-up comedian for 25 years, like, why do I have to keep doing it? Sometimes you have to keep doing it because in those 25 years, you didn't gain any other job skills. And that's what, what was starting to happen for me. And I started thinking, wow, this is becoming a job. And um, it's not that I don't love it because it's a job because I hate corporate America, but it's not coming from an inspired place. And I wanted to be in the arts so I could always come from an inspired place. So it it's, uh, I don't know, it was just interesting for me to hear. So maybe that's boring. Maybe it's Maybelline. But, uh, yeah, so there you go. Man, you know, I don't have a lot to talk about. <laughs> this has just been one of those fucking weeks, man. Like, I got some bad personal news on election day. Well, it wasn't bad personal news for me. It actually wasn't about me at all. Imagine that. And that was part of what was upsetting about it. Something really good happened for someone else who I was just not ready for that. And then there was the election, and then there's just been a lot of napping. So um, I'm going to read listener emails because y'all inspire me. But I do want to let you guys know there is a 
as my mother would say, there's a big sale coming up. Oh my goodness, there's a sale. But there is a sale coming up when this here podcast comes out. Um, Oh no, it's the week after. But don't worry about it. You can still buy things and then sales will come and go. I have new merchandise in my store. I do sell masks. Um, they are, it is holiday merchandise. One of them says it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's a black design with pink and white candy canes on it and yellow. And it's, you know, a nod to this podcast. There's one with a menorah on top of a big pine tree in the forest called No Fun Like the Holiday Season. And then one of Carol Brady from the Brady Bunch's face was with a wreath around it. It says A Christmas Carol. All of these things are available as t-shirts and long sleeve shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and onesies and tote bags and notebooks, both spiral and bound, stickers and pins and pillows and mugs. So go get them. I, I think the, they're great. You know, the pillows are a great little way to throw some holiday stuff into your home and the mugs, of course, as well. And I think that Brady, for the Brady Bunch lover in your life, that is like such a good gift. So go to jenkirkman.com, click shop, and you'll see all the new designs right at the top. And again, T Public is the company I work with. They design everything, they manufacture everything, they do all the billing and the shipping and they everything. So they take a cut of it, obviously. And then what they pay me, I give 100% to fund the frontlines.org, an organization that gets the PPE that frontline healthcare workers so desperately need. So that would be great. That is no money in my pocket. I don't want it in the, I don't want it in there. I want it out, out, out helping others. And of course, if you want to put money in my pocket, join the Patreon. Even $5 a month gets you four videos a month, plus 20 minutes of bonus material. Plus you have access to every single bonus material I've put out at that level for the last, since March. And you get like random stand-up sets that I did over the years, just thrown in that nobody's heard on TV or anywhere else before. So there you go. Oh my God, I'm loving the rain so much. It never rains in California. But girl, don't they warn ya? What do they warn ya? So I've been asking you guys, what are things that annoy you that aren't a big deal? Guys, I'm really sorry that this episode is so disjointed. I did like a full half hour bonus to the Patreon people on video before I started this and it was kind of emotional. (laughs) So I'm just a little out of it. Okay. Things that annoy you that aren't a big deal, but they annoy you. Um, So I had you guys write in. So here's what some of y'all wrote to me. Jen. My thing that's not a big deal, but is aggressively annoying is right as verbal filler. Oh God, I think I do that. To me, it comes across as speakers insisting they are right and expertly knowledgeable about everything they discuss. I notice it most often during presentations or in the speech patterns of people who make presentations regularly, and it immediately makes me bristle. Here is a basic fact about such and such topic that 90%, 95% of people assembled here know because we all work in or follow this industry, right? But two plus two is four, right? Gah! I find it condescending and cocky. 
I have yet to encounter another person who notices or rankles the same way I do about right. When one of those righties declares something that is in fact incorrect and follows it with right, I so badly want to smirk and yell, wrong! Thank you providing a venue for me to air this festering grievance. I've enjoyed your podcast and specials and books for a couple of years, and I'm a proud Patreon subscriber. Thank you for doing what you do, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. You know, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but I have a totally different take on, on this. I don't know. And I haven't been in your shoes in those moments, but when I hear people go, right, it's sort of like, like, or, you know, and, and, and maybe in your situation, it's, it's definitely what you're saying. Of course, there's people who say, right. You know, it's almost like they're doing this thing where they're, where they're thinking, I just blew your mind, right? It's, it's, it's sort of another way of saying mind blowing. You never thought of that before all in one word, right? I also think it's a nervous tick. I also think it could be some kind of weird manipulation thing. I feel like I'm having these memories of watching, you know, one of the many Nexium documentaries I watch. I know, guys, this is what week three I'm talking about. It's still on The Vow um, or Seduced where that Nancy Salzman is. She's doing her thing where she's smiling and she's saying, when we're afraid to approach a problem, we're saying that we're not capable of going to our full potential, right? It's almost like a brainwashing way of saying, I'm right, don't question. Don't think about it. I got this. It is true. Have no thoughts of your own, you know. Oh, by the way, so since it's been a while since I recorded a new episode, Keith Raniere is, um, hang on. Yay. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hang on. Uh, okay, so Keith Ranieri got 120 years. He will be in prison the rest of his life. But where these two documentaries fall short, where they don't show all the answers, is uh, there's a great podcast, if any of you are still as obsessed with this as me. And I know what you're thinking, Jen, I heard that podcast. No, no, no. It's not called Escaping Nexium. It's called Nexium on Trial. And it is. it came out last year. And they've updated it this year. And it's time, the Albany Times reporters who were outside the courtroom, some of them were in it. They heard testimony. Oh, my Lord. And they're regrouping every day after the trial. So it's called Nexium on Trial by the Times of Albany or something like that. Um, but uh, so, yeah. 
Highly recommend that. So anyway, hi, Jen. I definitely have one of these annoying to me things that no one else probably even notices. Time zone abbreviations. Even when it's Pacific Daylight Savings Time, people will still write PST instead of the correct PDT. It is frustrating to me since daylight saving time lasts longer than standard time, meaning I'm annoyed by this most of the year. LOL. I've even received emails from stores and businesses that use the EST instead of EDT. Come on, you're a professional nationwide retail chain. Do better. I realize there are way bigger problems in the world, but this is definitely one of my pet peeves. Thanks for asking. Her name's also Jen. Okay, here's where I'm like, what? My brain's expanding. If it's Pacific Daylight Savings Time, right, so you're writing Pacific Savings Time instead of Pacific Daylight Time. So it does make more sense to do PDT, and I know that that's the correct way to do it. Oh, it's so annoying. I sometimes see things that do both. They'll go, it's PST and then slash EDT. I know, I know. I, I'm so used to it, though, now. It's like doing it right seems like doing it wrong. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, okay. Sorry. I'm just texting back. Um, Jen, I can't deal with unnecessary wrapper or plastic bag crinkling. Just the other day, there was a guy on the subway who would take an M&M candy out of the bag, crush the bag closed with one hand as he popped the candy under his mask with the other. And then 10 seconds later, uncrush and rustle the bag to get another piece on and on. I had to move to another part of the train. The candy bag crinkling would make me particularly rageful in a movie theater in the before times. Well, this is embarrassing. I bought some jelly candies around Christmas. I mean, Thanksgiving. Nope. Oh, geez, guys. Sorry. Halloween. And I was in my car and I was doing that same thing to eat them without touching them. But at least I was alone in my car. Uh, She says, also, when people scrape the bottom of the bowl with their spoon, when do people do that? Like, I don't even notice. You know, do I do that is what I'm trying to say. Like, I guess if there was something stuck at that point, I just put it in the sink and put hot water in it and let it soak. I also hate it when people say flick instead of movie or film or rock that as in you could rock that (laughs) T-shirt. I think I say that by accident sometimes. It always just feels like an alien trying to talk like a cool human. That's definitely true. Um, Hey, Jen, are you still looking for a stuff for the things you find annoying segment? Mine is a phenomenon I like to call travel shaming. And this is, of course, pre-COVID travel. When travel was actually a thing, shaming people for non-essential travel now is okay if they're helping spread a plague. It's when people have this unconscious or conscious way of trying to direct the way you live because their priorities might be different than yours. Here are some examples. Oh, you're buying a new house? Bet you won't be traveling so much after that. You're adopting a kid? You're going to have to stop traveling all the time. 
It's like the one thing they know about me is that I'm a traveler, and it's the one thing they want to judge me on, especially when I never asked anyone for their two cents. I'm not a wealthy person by anyone's definition, but I choose to spend whatever money I do have on travel. Others may choose to spend it on a fancy car. My car is pretty basic because spending a lot on cars is not my priority. But they never hear me commenting, oh, you bought a Mercedes? Guess you're going to be eating a lot of packaged ramen and SpaghettiOs for dinner now. Oh my God, I want SpaghettiOs so bad. It's like you always say, everyone's fun is different. I'd like to add to that. You might not understand someone else's fun, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't shut the fuck up about it. Just wanted to write you as a distraction from doom scrolling about the election. Jeff. (laughs) Well, I know Jeff. He's a regular listener. I think he's on the Patreon. Um, Congrats if you are buying a house and adopting a kid. I'm not sure if that was just an example, but Jeff and his lovely wife are great people. And uh, yeah, he travels a lot. And, you know, traveling shouldn't be shamed. We should shame people who don't travel, who, who have the money to travel. Because it's such a way of getting out of yourself, opening your eyes to things, you know, not thinking America is the greatest country in the world. It's just, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and it's, you know, it's breaking my heart that I can't travel right now because it's it's kind of what I like to do when I want to get away from it all. And uh, yeah, people do always comment on that. Like, well, I guess you won't. They act like it's a placeholder for a real life. Does that make sense? That's the problem. Travel is a placeholder for a real life. So once you get your real life going, which involves a house and a child, no more of that crazy travel. Some more listener emails. I'm sorry if this episode's disjointed, you guys. I, I'm sorry. I... I, I, I it's just been it's just been a hell of a fucking week. <laughs> um, hopefully, we can all just be here together. Hi, Jen. Heard one of your podcasts where you talk about how to keep your coffee warm. Oh yeah, this is still going on. <laughs> so you know what, guys? I ended up doing is, I know I mentioned this on another episode. I have a carafe like that you buy at Crate and Barrel that I would pour my coffee in. But then I got a new coffee maker because my other one happened to break. It's just, you know, your regular Cuisinart. And they had a glass coffee pot option and a thermos one, um, you know, like a carafe one. And so when I make coffee, when I need to have an entire pot sitting with me in the living room all day, I make it via the Cuisinart one. So I, I've solved my issue. Um, but but let's keep reading everyone's ideas because I think I think these are hilarious and and we could all you know maybe someone else needs it. I just poured some hot coffee from my Cuisinart as I did that. Jen heard one of your podcasts where you talk about how to keep your coffee warm. Saw this. Uh, they sent me a Netflix link to a Ember temperature control smart mug. Uh, that was somebody had written me about that last week already. Your Netflix specials and books so resonate with my life. Thank you for doing what you do. Come to Ottawa, Canada one day, please, or Montreal. Uh, You guys are still doing the come here, come theirs. I thought my podcast people would have learned. I don't have a big enough fan base in Ottawa. The places in Canada that I play uh, regularly are Winnipeg, Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, and I have been playing them for over 14 years. I am no longer touring due to the pandemic. I'm not even allowed into the country of Canada, and uh, 
because I don't have a presence on Netflix and it will have been at least six years since the last time I had one with a new special, I will not be touring. And I also just fell out of love with it. So you did miss me. I have played Montreal well over 25 times. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I had this weird thing in my career where people found me like a relay race, uh, a bunch of people found me, then they went away, then new people came. It's like new people came, some people stayed, some people went. Everyone kept trickling in as I was getting older and older and more tired and more tired. And not that I'm too tired to tour, too old to tour, but the numbers just didn't. It's not like everyone came at once, you know, like with your Ali Wongs and your Whitney Cummings and your Eliza Schlesingers. I don't know. They just got big audiences all at once. Mine, they trickle, they trackle, they go, they come. People don't know that I've been touring. You can't get a Netflix special unless you've been touring the world for years, usually. I mean, now they give them to rapist MMA fighters. But, you know, you you usually can't. Uh, so, so, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not coming anywhere. But that's why you join the Patreon. You get to see me. I'm sitting in my living room in a big, cozy, Lenny Kravitz-style scarf. And a, I mean, come on. You know, I might travel, to be honest, with the podcast, uh, maybe do the Toronto Festival again or something like that. But I, I'm I'm looking to transition, as we've just talked about Ethan Hawke saying, let's not be afraid of our creativity, transition into more of a raconteur, right? You know, I don't need this. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of the stand-up, stand-up thing. I think it's almost insulting to people. Okay. Hi, Jen. I mean, the art form. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, listen, I've had to take some anti-anxiety meds. So can you give me a break, everybody? Okay. Hi, Jen. New Patreon subscriber, helping to pay your bills, supporter here. Thank you, my love. Well, I'd hope to see you live on tour someday. I'm in British Columbia, Canada. Oh, man, I've been playing Vancouver since 2006. It's awesome to be able to hang with you every week on your podcast. And I'm super excited for your dysfunctional Christmas show. There you go, you guys. If you want to see me, it's going to be great. I'm doing some sketches. I'm doing a reimagination of It's a Wonderful Life if the two girls didn't fight over George Bailey, but they got a life because they had an angel come down. That's going to be played by my friend Chris Frangiola and my friend Sarah Colonna and I are going to play the the two girls. I'm going to do a huge uh, Hallmark movie spoof called Christmas in Jail about Lori Laughlin. Um, I'm going to have a friend of mine who's a comedian, like shred the guitar and play like heavy metal Christmas carols. My Another comedian's going to come on and rant about being Jewish. Um, there's going to be, uh, it's just a good mix of all different kinds of people. And there will be little monologues and it'll be dysfunctional and it'll be from my living room. And it's not typical stand up. And you'll just love, it's just a good diverse group mix of people. And it is Friday, December 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. The good news is if you buy a ticket, you get to own it for 48 hours after, or we might even keep it up a little longer. So there's no way you can actually miss the show. And then for extra, I have a meet and greet after the show, which is me dressed like Santa. And you can proverbially sit on my lap and tell me what you want for Christmas, and I'm going to tell you if you're going to get it or not. Um, so that is onlocationlive.com slash Jen Kirkman, or go to just jenkirkman.com right there on my homepage, just right there. First thing you see, tickets, or go to my Twitter at Jen Kirkman, and it's the pinned tweet. So everybody, please get tickets. I am, I am hoping thousands of people come. I'm so excited. It's going to be so fun and silly. So there you go. Um, uh, 
It's awesome to be able to hang with you every week on your podcast. Thank you. I like I like that way of looking at it. And I'm super excited for your dysfunctional Christmas show. Happy to support you however you choose to move forward in your career. Well, aren't you a gem? I'd never listened to a podcast before. No fun. <laughs> Well, don't check out other ones or you'll figure out what they're really supposed to be. And I'm loving it. The humor, seriousness, authenticity, insights, randomness, that you keep it 100% real and from the heart. It's been the perfect antidote to what has been a brutal year for me. Two fractures, two surgeries, COVID shit, and losing my mom to cancer in August. Oh, that sounds terrible, my love. So when I heard about your podcast, I was like, no fun with Jen Kirkman. Yeah, that sounds exactly what I need right now. I also appreciate that you share a bit of your own journey in the podcast, pivoting your career in the wake of COVID, honoring your heart as you make some shifts, helping others through their anxiety classes, being a badass in your own way. Oh, I don't think I'm a badass, you guys, but thank you. It's been helpful and inspiring me as I navigate some changes of my own, as I'm sure it is to others. Heather, what the fuck is the point of this long email? She wrote that, not me. Just wanted to say thank you for all that you do and to wish you all the best as you move forward in new ways. You're a goddamn sweetheart, Heather. Thank you so much from British Columbia. Again, if I get back to Vancouver, which I know is a couple hours away from the town you say you live in, that would be the closest I would get. So you'd have to get your little butt to Vancouver and it would be some kind of podcast taping. Jen, obviously a big fan of you and the show. I watched The Vow and I'm now watching Seduced. Two episodes in on Seduced and it's a million times better. That's the other show about the Nexium cult. Gets to the awfulness right away. The thing that struck me is how India Oxenberg called Mark Vicente out by name twice already. He was a dick to her when she took that job. Is it just me or does it seem like he has way more dirt on his hands than, when he, than what he showed on The Vow? Seemed like uh, India's mom and Mark worked closely to help her get out. To call him out for being awful just kind of made me think he knew way more than he is letting on. Also, why didn't they make Keith look as bad as he was? Because it seemed like he was basically second in command. If he didn't know the brandings, he knew stuff damn close to it, right? Well, I don't think Mark knew that stuff. That was a real secret. You know, I think part of what Keith Ranieri got off on was having people second in command to him, like Mark Vicente, who didn't know and who would think of him as the celibate master. I mean, that was the other thing Keith told everyone who was celibate. So I think Keith got off on the fact that his second in command didn't know he had this secret rape circle, you know, and Keith himself didn't brand the women. He had convinced women to, to take charge and do that. So, but Mark knew but Mark was part of some pretty abusive programs where men would verbally demean women and then those women would still be expected to bring people into the cult like multi-level marketing style and Mark would make money off those women. So he did bad stuff. And and my issue with him is he doesn't seem to repent for it. And And yeah, he doesn't... I feel like Mark is still obsessed with insisting that we all would have fallen for Keith if only we had had the hours, days, weeks, months with Keith before finding out about him. And not all of us would. And I think he's kind of, you know, it takes a long time to get deprogrammed. And I think there's some deprogramming he still has to go through. I don't know if it's as sinister as as I've for sure been making it, but it's annoying. You know what I mean? It's just fucking annoying. Anyway, also loved your mom's 
Story just read another book on Abby Hoffman recently called Run, 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 The Lives of Abby Hoffman. Really good, written by his brother. I might have to add that to my list. Thanks for the pod, Tony. Jen, I was just listening to Milk Duds, that was my Halloween episode, and enjoyed listening to you talk about the state of Halloween this year. When you talked about how anything with screaming is a no-go, I thought of this article from Japan earlier this year that made me chuckle. Oh, I'll read that next week. It's a really good article about... You're told to scream inside your head on Tokyo roller coasters. I was listening to the episode at work while eating a Tootsie Pop, the lollipop with Tootsie Roll candy in the middle, and I felt a little attacked by your lollipop comment. Um, Well, listen, Tootsie Pops are not lollipops, so you should, of course, enjoy a Tootsie Pop. I did say that lollipops are kind of a depressing candy when you stick your hand in that bowl at the stranger's house at Halloween. Oh, my God, I had so many articles to read this week. I'm just not going to get to them. I like your thoughts on cult documentaries, too. It's been said that the biggest difference between religion and cults is time. And the ladies in this cult are probably looking for the same answers that one might find in a church community. Yeah, I heard somebody say, you know, all of this looks like is a bunch of people avoiding therapy. (laughs) Like it takes so much more time to avoid therapy than it does uh, to just go to it. So that was my last email that I got. So here we go. Send an email about anything you've heard today to iseemfun at gmail.com. If you want to review this podcast on any of the apps that you listen to it on, give it five stars. That helps other people find it, which then helps my numbers grow, which then means I get advertising and then we make a little money. And uh, you can write a review. And this week's review can be, this is not a cult, but it should be. That would be fun. Of course, visit my shop. I had some really great articles to read, like Gay Penguins Steal Lesbian Penguins Eggs. Um, a Caterpillar Wears a Hat of Old Skulls to Ward Off Predators. And uh, we'll read those next week. We'll do a little animal corner. <laughs> but this week, I just, I don't know, so many thoughts in my head. And um, yeah, I guess that's it, you know. Join that Patreon for extra fun, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. And until next week, keep your coffee warm and have fun. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.